Hello everyone, we hope you're enjoying season two of the podcast as much as we are. It's just a little message to let you know that after uh, this week's episode, there's going to be a short break before we come back for the rest of season two. So we'll keep you posted on that. In the meantime, here's this week's episode. Hello and welcome to Something to Declare. We're really pleased to have you joining us uh, today. Uh, Beth, hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, David. How are you? I'm doing okay, thank you. I'm doing all right. I had an excellent uh, day conference yesterday uh, as part of our work with the HeartEdge uh, Network, uh, focusing on compassion and uh, the work of the church in addressing social need and a variety of other things. And it was a very stimulating uh, day with a great group of people. So I'm sort of living off that a bit today. Uh, hmm. what a, how's your week been all right? It's, yeah, it's been good. It's busy. Um, it's got to that point in the term where all the tricky things have started to mount up and we've had a lot of COVID cases. So it's been a bit of a harder term for a lot of people in that sense as well. But it's, um, it's been, it's good busy, I think. You know, there's a difference, isn't there? There's bad busy and there's good busy. I feel like it's very rewarding busy this week. So in your uh, business, um, do you ever listen back to our podcast episodes when they go out? Do you ever listen back to the recordings? Sometimes. <laughs> oh, okay. Sometimes. To tell us more. What's the deciding factor as to whether you do or don't? Well, sometimes my podcast app just likes to play it to me, which is really disconcerting because it's only like... I know that voice <laughs> and, um, and yeah it's just like auto selected it as the next thing um, and uh, sometimes because I'm very nervous of what I ended up actually saying because we record this and it's you know the safety of our own spaces and I'm chatting to you and I know you really well and what on earth have I, what on earth did I say <laughs> How clear was that? How clear was that? Is there anything I said that maybe I wish I hadn't said? All that kind of thing. So I like to just um, soothe my own anxiety by actually listening to it. Oh, that's true. Because I, I like listening to the interview with the, with the guest. Um, sometimes because it's been a while since I've listened to it. So it might be two or three weeks, whatever, since it was recorded. And like, you know, going back and listening to Julie or Barbara or John from, from earlier on in the series um i find there's always oh i'd forgotten about that and i, I so i really appreciate that um uh, but uh, yeah do um find it harder to listen to more of myself um, so i prefer the ones where you're doing the interview generally um, <laughs> um, but i the, um, i don't know it's quite a vulnerable thing isn't it like last week we finished recording and i was like oh i shouldn't have said that and i wish i hadn't said that and but it is where we were in that moment it is what i said and you know life know. isn't perfect and i think airbrushing it all out isn't helpful uh but just very conscious that you know you put it out there and you know do you, i mean i guess i don't know if it's related or not really but uh is imposter syndrome something that you ever uh sort of wrestle with on a daily basis yeah. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I i think um oh, i was interesting i i work with really very extraordinarily bright students all of the time and most of them think they're like maybe I'm not really good enough to be here and and 
and it's really interesting and I think if they think that <laughs> like yeah. I've got permission occasionally to worry that too um uh yeah I think everybody gets that actually and I think maybe it's um yeah I think it's it's a challenge isn't it I think as ministers um we have so many so much that is public about us it's a very public office and um but we're like our whole characters are meant to measure up to that public office and you know these are the commitments that we've made the covenant relationship we're in the kind of moral compass that women are live by and I think um you know it's very easy to think quite quickly but I don't live up to this huge set of expectations upon me um, you know, I'm not holy enough. I don't pray enough. You know, I'm not wise enough. I don't shut up enough. Um, usually my experience, I'm a bit of a talker. Um, I shouldn't have said that thing, whatever it is, yeah, I think yeah. kind of, and, and some of that's good self-reflection and learning about who you are. And I think some of it's just, I wonder if sometimes we're quite good at seeing our own flaws and maybe not showing ourselves the grace that maybe God shows us. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wonder as well whether there's something in, um, I, I remember talking to a, a minister in training that we had with us in our, our church and they were saying that, that they didn't see all of the good things that the rest of us saw and they were quite wonderful uh, and because for them those things were, were sort of naturally them if that makes sense so they kind of assumed that everybody thought like that and acted like that and did that in a way it was kind of assumed it was it was kind of priced in all the good bits and so mm. they only saw the things they couldn't do and the things they felt inadequate in doing. Um, and I was trying to explain in this conversation with them, actually, not everyone can do that as easily as you do it. Not everyone does think like that, respond like that. Yeah, that's part of the gift that you bring to it is, is by being yourself. Um, but I think we do kind of price that in with ourselves a bit. and Don't appreciate mm. that. So you often need other people to reflect that to you in some way, I guess. Yeah. No, that's a that's really wise. And I think um, and I think also, you know, there's something about ministry where the stuff that we deal with that's the hardest in our own lives is often the stuff that God uses most in mm. our ministries. And um, and that means having to be a little bit vulnerable about those bits of ourselves. I shared a bit about that last recording. And, um, mm. you know, after I was thinking, should I have said that, you know, with you know that's that's now on that's now on public record yeah. Yeah, um yeah. and actually it might come with a stigma but actually it's also the stuff that you think well this is you know this is also some of the the stuff that I've learned the most from and 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 actually some of the you know I I hate kind of magicking it be better with God but I the sense that actually sometimes God uses the bits that the darkest and the weakest in our lives actually for the most good and I think um you know our sense of owning our own vulnerability sometimes is the thing that we can offer most to other people um yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i often say to the church here um you know you think i'm irritating now um <laughs> you have no idea what it would have been like before some of these difficult things had happened <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know um and, and how we're we're shaped and formed by that um but today uh we are having a little chat um with a friend of ours called linda campbell um who's also involved in ministerial formation like yourself and linda is a director of uh, practical training and admissions at spurgeon's college in london where 
uh, a few years ago now, I uh, trained and completed my master's as well. Um, so we're going to listen in to Linda now, and then we're going to uh, have a chat afterwards as well. So here we go, everybody. Enjoy listening to Linda Campbell. Well, Linda, hello, and welcome to the Something to Declare podcast. Hi, David. It's nice to meet up with you again. It's been a while. It has been a while, and I'm so pleased that you've agreed to come on and, and have a chat. Um, for the people uh, listening who haven't met you before, uh, tell us um, a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, what you do, whatever you want to share, really. Yeah. Um, I'm Linda Campbell. I work at Spurgeon's College. I oversee our admissions department and look after students on placement from meeting churches and seeing students right through. Um, I've been doing that for 21 and a half years. Um, it's a real privilege. Uh, when I was 20, I became a Christian and no idea what God was going to call me to. I was brought up in the Church of Scotland, so very reformed and, you know, never heard of the Holy Spirit or things like that. And um, at Spring Harvest one year, we, I went with some friends, uh, discovered Moorlands Bible College. Mm -hmm. And so at the age of 23, I went off to study at Moorlands, not knowing what God was calling me to. And all these years later, who would have believed I am where I am, working at Spurgeon's College. So. There's been a lot in between, um, some good, some very challenging, uh, some life-changing events that you just think, what on earth, you know? But God's been faithful, and I think that's the thing that holds me uh, to do what I do um, in trying to support men and women as they train for ministry, mainly Baptist ministry, but we have obviously at college people from a wide diversity of backgrounds. and. Um, yeah, it, it's an honour, and I still love it. Um, I'm sad, I don't know, but um, <laughs> I, I love what I do. Uh, and that's just the way God's made it for me. It's not always been easy. Um, Spurgeon's has had its ups and downs over the years. and um, But we're coming through all that, and exciting times are ahead. So that's a bit about what I do now. Yeah, I mean, that says something significant, I think, that 21 and a half years into something you still have that sense of being in the right place doing what you've been called to do I think that's not always the case that's quite special yeah and you know there have been moments now and again when I think oh you know what am I doing and you know you have those friends you you talk to and you share and they will all say to me as soon as I start talking about the students the passion comes through and mm. I do I have a passion to support the students you know I don't always get it right I will admit that you know um, but I'd like to think on the whole, I am there to support the students and, you know, it's like any job, isn't it? There are parts of it that are very challenging, but the students won't make it worthwhile. Mm. And seeing them coming in, sometimes not sure of this call that God's placed in their life and watching them as they go through either three or six years, however long they're with us blossoming and flourishing and I feel like a mother hen at graduation as they go out into the big bad world into the local church and yeah it, it is a real privilege even all these years later it's mm. um, yeah I'm very thankful that I did this 
well, and on, as one of those students <laughs> uh, a few years ago now, who was a, a recipient of your, your care and guidance, we're very grateful that uh, you did it too. Um, I wonder if, uh, so I'm obviously in that sort of length of time, training has changed uh you know i don't know is it three principles you've seen off now four principles um you, you know so things of uh, college has changed and the department of ministry department has changed or ministry's team now sorry use the right lingo has changed as well but i want in terms of the students mm -hmm. it, it, is that the sort of thing is that one of those things that doesn't change you're still dealing with that that calling that wrestling or have there been sort of have there been trends and change that you've noticed in people coming to you guys? Um, I, th I think one of the major changes for Spurgeons is the whole change in higher education. People forget mm -hmm. that that you know when you come to any of the colleges, you know there are five Baptist colleges. When you come to any of us, you know we are doing a higher education qualification. So you're trying to meet the requirements of your university. You're trying to meet the requirements of the Baptist Union. You're trying to meet the requirements of what the local church expects their ministers to do and to be involved in. And so I would say in one sense, the student body hasn't changed that drastically, apart from the fact we train more women now than we did 20 odd years ago. That would be one uh, significant change. Um, Praise the Lord. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Indeed, I think in my 20 years, we've had one year where there were more Baptist women than there were men. Only one. But um, <laughs> never mind. I rejoice that year. Um, but I guess the kind of students that come to us are people that are coming into second careers um, okay. in some respect. The majority of people, and I know you were probably one of the few who were quite young when mm. you came uh, to train, but they're fewer. And so you're, you're looking at people who are probably coming as a second career some you know many years later having ignored god's call or trying to run away from it do anything but as the saying goes um but god eventually you know calling them into ministry um to people that you know have gone either into teaching to uh the police force to lots of different backgrounds working in the city and all sorts of places uh, and just exploring you know what, what's God saying to them and that call which is sometimes very hard I don't know if you found that it's hard to describe you know when people mm. ask you well, what is the call you know it's just something that you know is between you and God and when people can recognize that and say you know have you ever thought of ministry mm. um so I would say in one sense the student body um is very similar in some respects but actually, a lot of the changes have been more in uh, how ministry has evolved as well. You know, how ministry was 20 odd years ago was very different now. Mm. And trying to move with the times and encourage to, people to be who they are and not many versions of tutors at college, but mm. to help them uh, blossom and flourish to be the ministers that God wants them to be. Um, yes is yeah is very important i was very fortunate i mean i was brought up in the church of scotland but um when i became a christian our minister allowed us to try anything in church right he was very gracious and i guess that's always been part of my mantra really is i don't want to be the person to stop someone becoming what god wants them to be just because i might not agree with it it might not mm -hmm. be the way i would do things but we're different 
and God's put us together in a community um, of Baptists uh, to help each other grow and to develop and to share his message. Mm. So I say I don't preach, but then you get me on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> we love that. Um, so just between you and me, you know, um, yeah. um, just between you and me, what have been some of the, some of your biggest frustrations being involved in preparing people for ministry? Um, one of my biggest frustrations is people wanting to do it as quickly as possible um, or tell me they have to jump through the hoops to get to be a Baptist minister. Um, I think people, and I do apologise to anyone who listens. Um, <laughs> how they That's all right. Um, but I think you miss out, you know, um, to embrace all that God, even the good and the difficult times and some students face really challenging situations, you know, um, to embrace all that um, and to go through the three years. Um, I think it's important, you know, yes, it's important to have academic background. Um, you know, you wouldn't go to any other profession and not expect them to be qualified or have an understanding of their subject. So why should we expect any less of our ministers? Um, but also that practical element um, of what you do as a minister. Um, I always used to think you should be social workers as well. We train you as social workers as well as <laughs> theology. Um, but yeah, so it, it's a, a wide variety, I would say. Um, but mainly people want to get through as quickly as possible. Um, embrace. Um, I think that's my biggest bugbearer, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I took, and I, I mean, I say I came to college quite young, I guess, and I totally resonate with that. In that, I think I came not quite understanding the importance of being there over a period of time, and I thought I would enjoy very practical, applied sort of modules. Mm. Why am I studying all this other stuff? But actually, it was the doctrine and the ethics and the church history and the spirituality that really sort of got my brain going mm. in wonderful ways. Um, and I think only now do I almost wish it was it had been longer. You, you know, actually, I, I think the longer I do ministry, the more I appreciate the importance of that spiritual formation in that period of time in that environment. Um, uh, yeah, but I totally understand. Yeah. And it's lovely to see people who, you know, because I do admissions and placements. Um, and I've always said, you know, it's only in the last what, five years I've done, overseen admissions, but there's always been a crossover between what, you mm. know, the placement side and admissions. And, um, you know, people say, no, you know, I'm, I'm not very good academically. You know, I didn't do very well at school. And to see them blossom, you know, mm. we, we've seen people, you know, one guy this year came out with a first class honours. Yeah, he sat in my office before he started saying, you know, I'm really going to struggle through this. You know, people with dyslexia saying, you know, I'm never going to achieve the degree that, you know, I need. But they achieve it, you know, it's mm. helping people reach their own potential, whatever that may be. Um, whether it's a first class honours, whether it's a, a tutu, it doesn't matter. You know, it's you learning and being open to what God wants you to learn through that time. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's just wonderful to see that and people get a thirst for study so yeah absolutely yeah. I'm, I'm guessing given your role in admissions and then placements I mean I was very blessed I had a wonderful church to be uh, working with um but I'm guessing that you get through quite a lot of tissues in your office <laughs> uh, always a box of tissues, always yep. a box of tissues. <laughs> it's all too yeah. much 
yeah, you can. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that's part of the support structure we have at college, you know, mm. is uh, being available to people, you know. Uh, the other worst thing you can say to me is, oh, you seem too busy, you know, mm. aren't we all? But I would drop everything in an instant and pull out of meetings if, you know, a student desperately needed to chat to us, you know, or uh, whatever. So uh, it's important to be there for the students. You know, ministry is the greatest privilege and greatest pleasure, you know, for Baptist Union ministers. I'm not a Baptist minister. Um, it was never my calling. And I'm, you know, uh, that that's fine. I have no problems with it. But, you know, to see also the challenges and the pressure and the way ministers are treated sometimes um, and from other ministers, it's not always from their congregations. Um, that's the hard bit. And so to be there to support, but yeah, there's always tissues in my office uh, and it can be a safe place for people to hide as well. You know, I've had people sitting in my office and I've left them there, you know, cause they just needed that space. Um, yeah, we'd have chatted and, you know, sometimes people don't really want to chat. They just, mm. you know, want to sit there and they'll say the little bit that they have and it, it's knowing when not to ask anymore and just to let them be. Uh, and they eventually will come out with it either to me or to their pastoral tutors or whoever. Um, so it's a team really at, at college um, that, you know, people find the right people that they can identify with and, and chat with but mm. yeah every office will have a box of tissues <laughs> sometimes for me never mind the student <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. Um, but as uh, you mentioned earlier that you did some studying at Moorlands uh, yourself mm. um but also alongside your very full-time job at college um, you did uh some theological study at Spurgeon's too how did you find that <laughs> Oh, that, that was very interesting, being taught by your colleagues. So when I was at Moorlands, I only did up to diploma level. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things Nigel Wright always kept saying to me is, you must take that up to the degree. You know, you must take it up to the degree. So eventually, I don't know where I found the time, but I did. <laughs> he allowed me, I did, I did it over three years. So I did a, a unit a semester. Um, and then I did a dissertation, um, which was quite interesting um so the the one thing they weren't allowed to pick on me in class <laughs> um, but i really enjoyed getting the brain back into study again you know i'm not an academic you know i'll hold my hand up you know um, um reading books um yeah i'll do it now and again but i'm not an avid reader um and so you know but for me it was important um you know um to to spend that time because it was a bit of a strange situation because one minute i'm you know working with the students and you know chatting to them the next minute i'm a student in the class with them but everyone was very gracious and um i, I did enjoy that it was mm. um, yeah that was back in 2015 i think i graduated yeah. so um, yeah am I, am I allowed to ask what your dissertation was on yeah, you can. It was, um, I can't remember the actual title, but it was too long ago, but the essence of it was, uh, how can we support spouses in ministry? Okay. Um, and for me, because I, 
you know, I was married to a Baptist minister, you know, mm-hmm. um, sadly the marriage broke down. Um, that is what it is in one sense. But, you know, I know when I was a minister's wife, you know, where was the support, you know? Um, where were the people that got alongside? And now everyone was very different. And so I did, um, you know, some research with um, different associations and looked into it. And, and I mean, it's not that people don't want to, it's mm. where are the resources? How do we do it when training nowadays is so scattered? You know, it's not like in the olden days uh, when everyone trained in college and everyone was in college. When you become a church-based student, you know, we had people all over the country. How do you get everyone together um, to support? So, mm. yeah, so I found that really interesting. Yeah. And, yes. and did you have to do uh, Baptist history and principles as one of your modules? I only modules? did half of it. Um, half, half Baptist history. I didn't have to do English Baptist history. I managed to avoid oh, that right. one. I did talk <laughs> the church, but again, I really enjoyed doing that because it came, again, it came at a time of my life when um, I just got divorced. Church became a very interesting place. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know how to be a church member. I know that sounds really crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, having been part of church all, you know, since I was 20, well, I'd been brought up in the church, you know, and mum and dad were elders in the Church of Scotland. You just got up and you went to church every Sunday. You know, <laughs> there was no question of it. Um, and here I found myself all of a sudden a church member, you know. How do I become a church member? How do you navigate church as a single person now? How do you go to a church where you don't know anyone. You haven't got the children to make those connections. Um, so I actually found Doctrine of the Church really helpful to help me think through uh, what is church. Um, mm. I'm still working that one through. Yeah, you can, you can let <laughs> us know the answers. Yeah. For everyone, you know, what is church nowadays? You know, especially post pandemic, you know, mm. the last two years have just been incredible. For everyone really wasn't it you know um so yeah and how does your role at, or does your role at Spurgeon's sort of relate to the other colleges you mentioned that you know, we have uh, a number um is there much sort of collaboration between you and how and then sort of second to that how, how does that sort of all relate to the wider life of the, the yeah union? Um, I don't have a great, I mean, some of my academic colleagues will, you know, probably have more interaction uh, than I do. Um, I occasionally talk to some of the other colleges if there are either placement issues or admission issues, you know, um, and we'll do that. But there is, uh, we have a joint college conference once a year when all the colleges, the five colleges and the Scottish Baptist College uh, meet together for 24 hours, I think it is. and you know that's the time of just sharing together and being together and uh, I suppose in one way trying to support one another in what we do back in um, our own colleges Uh, so uh, so yeah from that perspective I guess my uh, association is more with the associations Mm -hmm. I work more closely with the associations Um, the Spurgeon's feeder uh, associations are SEBA London and Eastern. Um, and so I work very closely with the regional ministers there, um, sometimes too closely when things go awry for our students. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, and then um, I'm privileged to be part of National MRC. Ah, National okay. MRC for a number of years now, I've lost count uh, how many years I've been on there. Um, and again, that's a privilege. I find that committee a privilege, but also quite sad at times, because mm. obviously it's the ministry's department, you're looking at ministers um, and, you know, it's, yeah, it can be quite sad, some meetings when you hear the pickle mm. that some ministers have got themselves into. Um, but also rejoicing with those that are, are doing well, you know. Um, and I think at the last MRC meeting we had, the amount of ministers that are going on leave of absence or coming out of ministry, exhausted. Um, yeah. I think the pandemic has got a lot to do with that. It's, um, yeah, it's... So it has it has its moments, but again, I'm very fortunate to to be part of the wider, you know, Baptist family as well. Um, yeah. Well, that leads us very neatly, Linda, into um, our two questions that we ask all of our guests on a something to declare podcast. And so I want to ask them to you as well. Um, if you had one thing to declare to the union in this moment, what would it be? That's a very good question. And since you sent me the questions, I've, I've really been thinking it over. And, and I guess for me, it would be respect one another. Um, we come from a diversity of backgrounds. Uh, we all have different thoughts and views on uh, topics. And, but yet God's called us to be Baptists, to be a community together. And it's how do we, you know, work together with the diversity and with uh, the differences that we have. Uh, and I guess it's respecting one another and acceptance, you know, that I might not agree with you on everything uh, that you think we should be doing or, you know, but I'll still respect you and still love you and, you know, um, I know that's a bit of a simplistic way, but I think it's important um, mm. that we, we learn to respect one another. And there are hard times ahead for the union, you know. Um, but, yeah, just, you know, we talk about, you know, we are a Baptist union. So, you know, let's not forget the union part of it, that we may all be in our individual churches um you know every every time i go to visit a baptist church to say oh we're not a typical baptist church <laughs> and i say yeah no you're right you probably aren't because we're all individuals but you know there are things that we can share with one another support one another and encourage one another so i guess that's mm. what i would like to say and share with the union okay and and if you think that baptists have one thing to declare to the world what would it be? Jesus. <laughs> no, uh, that, that's the answer to everything, isn't it? I, I think that we have a faith to share with them, you know, um, that um, as a group of believers, of people who believe and have found, you know, Jesus, we have so much to share. Uh, and therefore, you know, in all that we do and say um, should be to bring glory to God's kingdom. Um, again, my naivety, it, to me, it, it's simple. I know it's not easy. Um, you know, I've been in church life long enough to know um, that it's hard work at times, but um, 
you know, we have good news to share. So let's support one another and share it to the world that, you know, our communities can become better places. Well, amen to that. Fantastic. Linda, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast and chatting. I'm really pleased uh, to have spent this time with you and I look forward to other people uh, hearing a little bit from you when the podcast goes out too. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Take care. Well, Beth, um, I thoroughly enjoyed chatting to uh, Linda, but uh, what did you make of that? And what did you make of what Linda had to share with us? Oh, I just kept laughing at her, her witty observations of, of Baptist life and especially uh, kind of Baptist ministerial formation. I, I just really brilliantly observed. Um, and just, I think I, so I met Linda um, at the all colleges conference that she mentioned. Um, it was my first ever day in my new job when I met her. And she was the person, I don't know if she just spotted, I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> she, came and, she came and said, hey, and, and she was so lovely. Oh my gosh, is she just one of the nicest human beings? I mean, I think you could go to Spurgeon's just to have Linda, couldn't you, in your world? Yeah, I mean, just, yeah. That, yeah she's just gorgeous. Um, and um, I think, she's so vocationally a brilliant fit for what she does and I think um that really comes through throughout what she said today but um yeah and who she is and how she how she enjoys and adores doing what she does and in, enjoys her students and she talked about coming you know coming alive when she talks about them and that energy that she brings and I think that's very true she was um, clearly passionate and, and very lovely about her students and how lucky they are to have her is really the thing I was thinking as well. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, now I was there, what you, I mean, Linda's been there 21 and a half years, I think she said, and uh, I was there um, not quite 21 and a half years ago, but not too far off it. And uh, yeah, was one of those students who happily hid in Linda's office at uh, a couple of points and really appreciated her her care and kindness, but also um, Linda brings all that care and kindness and wisdom, but she's also not just in a soft, fluffy way. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes actually you just need to get on with it or whatever. And, and <laughs> Linda has the capacity to tell you that as well. And, and bringing those two things together, I think is uh, a really uh, profound blessing actually. Mm. Um, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, lots of us there would uh, extol uh, the virtues of the, the tissues and the comfortable chairs in, in Linda's office. And um, Beth, I'd wondered when I was talking to Linda whether what she said about the period of time, the length of training and the importance of that, whether that resonated with uh, your own training and now your own experience of training ministers. I so I absolutely think so. And um, I, I think. I thought what she said about not wanting to rush the process was really, mm. really helpful. I think, um, and people also think, they think they know who they are when they go into the process. Like I'm maybe not gonna be very good at the academic work or um, I won't enjoy this area of, of the academic work. I want to be more about the practice or I want to be more about this. And then when they start doing it and exploring it, they discover in whole new ways who they might be and what 
God is doing in their life and actually what they're skilled at and gifted at and um, which is you know hopefully the point of college right is that you can kind of um, not only develop the skills you've got but also kind of discover new ones or find you know develop skills in new places as well but um, um, yeah I really I thought I really identified with that um, I think one of the challenges of the kind of um, residential selection system that we have at the moment where we kind of take people who've done a theology degree or something and we kind of um, sort of plonk them in to uh, like accreditation and then NAMS is, isn't quite as helpful. It's really interesting we've developed a formation pathway program so that um, people can actually do the formation even if they don't need the academic work or even if they've got lots of life experience to try and respond to that exact question because maybe actually this this thing that we're doing with tra training ministers, and I use that in inverted quotes that you can't see on a podcast, um, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe this thing with training ministers isn't really about being trained in just being good at skills. Like it's not how well you can preach a sermon. It's much more something about character and community and rubbing alongside people who are different, um, rubbing alongside yourself for three, like three years. I think a lot of uh, formation is really about kind of um, realizing some of your own blind spots or um, and yeah enjoying bits of yourself that you didn't realize you had and as well like you know both and um, mm. and I also I loved that she was really keen about the academic side of it as well like she was like you know in, in other professions we wouldn't let people go in like without the knowledge to back it up and I just think um, I'm quite passionate that we um you know, we should expect people to, you know, to know their scripture, but not just, you know, not like in a sense of like, you can quote the most Bible verses, but to like, how was this formed? What was the community that this came out of? Um, you know, how has it been received in history and why? Um, and then kind of, you know, as well as that kind of, well, what has the church been thinking and asking questions about for 2000 years and across the whole wide world? Like, so we didn't, we didn't just arrive at, church in a vacuum in you know 21st century we've been part of our specific baptist tradition but also a whole collection of different you know traditions of church responding to the cultures they were in thinking all those questions that they were faced with ethically and um ecclesiologically and i think the joy of um theology for me is realizing that those questions weren't my own questions individually but actually they had been the church's questions that the church has been asking for a long time. And if the church has been asking these questions for a long time, that doesn't mean I'm a doubter for asking the questions. It actually means maybe there's something about the Holy Spirit in this. And um, yeah, that is really the thing I, I'm passionate about, trying to say reading and thinking um, and like wrestling with new ideas is got to be part of who we are as ministers. What, what things did you come to college thinking, I'm going to really enjoy this, or I'm not going to really enjoy this, and it kind of wasn't what you expected? Hmm. That's a good question. So I'd done a theology degree. Already. Okay, of course. So yeah. bit, I was one of those went in at 20 something, <laughs> muster it quietly, too young in some ways, actually. Um, but also yeah you weren't going to tell me I was going to do anything else I wasn't about to do anything else so um I um I I think I thought it would be much more practical like plumbing 
or something. Oh. I mean, I could have done with a plumbing degree, <laughs> some social services and yeah. um, a bit of psychology, I think. Um, and then I think, so I think I probably thought um, it would be much more like, here are some church finances. How do we do this? Here is, right, okay. you know, how yep. do you run a church meeting in this kind of particular way? And I think there's, there are those things in there. Um, but I think there's less of that in comparison to kind of other big sweeps of conversations, you know, had you lead worship, had homiletics, um, mm. those, those things. And I, I think, um, yeah, I, I wonder sometimes, um, I think because other people haven't done the, I had a real privilege of doing my theology without having to preach every week as well. And I think, um, you know, that first four years where I was an undergraduate in Scotland, where you do four years automatically. Um, I think there was a real gift in being able to just to explore theological concepts without having to worry about like what I was doing on Sunday with those theological concepts. And um, if this was Christology, did I actually believe in Jesus properly or not? And all those kinds of existential crises that you have a habit of going through when you study theology, I got to do on my own terms. Um, and I was very grateful for that. So I think we, I think we're very aware that people are meeting those and they're also running churches at the same mm. time. And that that's often a huge pressure. Um, and so I think we give a lot of space for that in um formation and I think it's important that we do but I think it was perhaps something I hadn't quite expected maybe mm. if that's the right way of putting it yeah I'm on the other side of it now so it's a really yeah yeah interesting thing to think if I wrote this from scratch what would <laughs> include and I think that's where Linda is really wise in observing actually we don't even get to write you know the it's actually you're also satisfying you know academic boards and um you know, it's it's externally reviewed. No, nothing you do is actually um, even in a kind of, you know, it, it sits within higher education frameworks. So you've got to be producing stuff of a standard that's enabling people mm. to um, reflect and, but also gets kind of confirmation from other places and spaces. And that's a really interesting thing as well. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were two other things that I, I wondered if we might pick out. And I, I think you might have these written down as well. Um, the first was that Linda spoke about being on national MRC mm. and uh, I just feel better about the whole thing knowing that Linda's in the room yeah it just what, you know makes me feel better <laughs> oh there you go um, just glad Linda's there um mm. but she she did reference you know the the number of people resigning or on leave of absence and I don't know if just anecdotally you you've noticed or experienced this yourself I'm certainly aware of this um or even not just um, even as far as leave of absence, but just a lot of people feeling they need to not be in local church for mm. the next period or whatever. And I think it is a, a very interesting season. Um, it makes obviously things like settlement very interesting as well. Um, but I think there is a real sort of movement there that I think is, is hard because we're in the middle of it to, to work out quite what's going on in some ways, but it's Does that resonate? Yeah, because everybody talks about the great resign at the moment. Have yeah. you come across this? There's, mm, yeah, um, yeah. It's happening across, you know, university. It's happening in all sorts of other spaces and places that, um, you know, people have decided for some reason this is the moment to change role. And I think there's been, I guess, something of an existential crisis, maybe when you live with your own mortality, do you think, 
actually, what do I really want to do with my life? Um, and that a lot of people's roles have changed quite significantly within the pandemic because everything's been online for a while and maybe they used to work from home. I uh, know they didn't, maybe they used to work from an office now they work from home or whatever, and it's all shifted about. So I think there's maybe people kind of reevaluating what they really want to be about. But um, yeah, I think, I think church ministry, I mean, you know, it's just a trudge at the moment, isn't it? Like the volunteers have not come back. Um, and um, some people are like running into a new chapter of like, we want to set up all these new shiny things and we've got all these plans. Um, and then other people, because, you know, we haven't done anything for two years, so we need to do all these things. But actually, if you've been the local minister, chances are you're probably the person that did do all the things <laughs> because nobody else was allowed to be with you doing them. Um, and there's a good chance you've just buried a lot of your beloveds and um, you're just kind of, you know, you've eked through having to do Zoom church out of nowhere. And we talked about the never endingness, didn't we, in the episode? Yeah. John, and the kind yeah. of, there isn't, there isn't this deadline to this. And so we've just lived the kind of, the length of it without any kind of conclusion and that's its own weariness and the pastoral fallout i mean yeah. is just immense from this pandemic um we see it in all sorts of spaces that people who had copable issues um that they were kind of managing they were in the background of their lives but they were doing all right for a lot of people this is kind of exposed them in a new way you know coping techniques maybe disappeared over overnight all that kind of thing um and I think you know I was really taken in the pandemic kind of in the you know some of the big lockdown times that people just kept knocking on our door because we were a vicarage so it's a bit different to Baptist Mance and it was a very you know historic vicarage everybody knows it's the vicarage um and people just kept knocking on our door who would never have normally knocked on our door um and I think it was because we were the like the last place left you know everywhere else was closed there were no drop in anything else's um there was no kind of social support from you know social services or the nhs on some of those kind of like drop in spaces and places so where do you go <laughs> they came to us which was great you know because of course the church should be there for those moments but at the same time if you've just lived that for two years in the same time as maybe seeing a lot of church members die others not come back many volunteers dropping out whilst a few people going we really need to push on and do something really exciting and creative you can feel like that's a lot all at once and that's before you even come to who you are isn't it in your yeah. own world and what you've managed to live through in the pandemic yeah you know, isolation family stress homeschooling you name it <laughs> yeah <laughs> all those things absolutely and and then towards the end uh linda spoke about um, her, well, I asked about her dissertation mm. and that led into a conversation. I was very struck with what, what Linda said about being a church member and actually uh, how, how challenging that was. Mm. Um, what did you make of that whole sort of part of the chat? It's back to the vulnerability, isn't it? Um, what uh, a tender moment of the conversation that that was. I think she talked about um you know I didn't know how to be a church member how and I studying doctrine kind of gave that back to her because all the normal identifiers we might use in church about children and spouse like had changed um and I thought that was really 
interesting. Um, I thought it was interesting that, yeah, that um, there were several things that came out of it for me. I, I don't know if you've read Lena Toth's brilliant book on, um, uh, um, I think it's called something like Marriage After Christendom or Singleness and Marriage After Christendom. And it's really, um, really good. I would okay, no, I haven't read it. Um, and she, um, she sort of picks up on how these, these, these ideas have changed, are changing, and what did scripture even have in them anyway? Um, and I think, um, yeah, I think that we kind of sometimes have a, a kind of particular model of, of what we think a family looks like and what we think, you know, that how that fits within church. And I think we particularly do that in ministry. So I think she identified church, you know, the minister's spouse. Um, and I often think that this is one of those unique places of pressure that we don't really navigate as churches and perhaps churches don't really appreciate the huge stress on those now I'm not saying that those who are single in ministry don't have huge amount of stress too because they've got nobody to go home to at the end to say oh you won't believe my day um, <laughs> but um but that like I think church but I think if you're married to the minister uh, you often have a bit more of an inside view, A, of the minister who you don't have on a pedestal. They aren't your minister because they are your spouse. So you don't have a minister. Um, and then um, and then you also get a bit of an inside view of uh, the pastoral side or at least the political side. So you may not know the individual content of confidential pastoral situations, but you probably have a good sense of the politics of the deacons mm. meeting, right? And how they overflowed in your spouse's mood the next day. Um, and I think um, I think that's really important. And I don't think we really, um, I don't think we've ever come to a good place with that. And I think we just, we it's a very, it must be a very isolating position. And that's before you even come to the practicalities. Like, so I know that I, I don't pick up the Vicarage Landline anymore. Uh, because it's too complicated because if I pick up the vicarage landline people assume that I am the minister of this church now I am a minister I'm trained in pastoral care and it doesn't matter if somebody then spiels out the huge thing <laughs> they've got the guts to fi finally phone the vicar about um and it's is they so they're halfway through their like deep crisis moment and then you're gently trying to say actually I'm, I'm not that person yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm that person for you um which is a is an interesting kind of uh one to kind of navigate yeah. through but I think you know I'm I am a minister I'm trained in this you know this is what I do for a living and I'm aware of the sensitivity of those moments I I think if you're if this is your home and people turn up and people barge in and it's not your vocation, it's your husband's mm. or wife's vocation. I can imagine that's a really, really challenging experience. And especially if you're a bit of an introvert or, um, you know, you can never have a messy house, can you? Like, well, I do, but, um, you know, I think there's a sense of like, you know, yeah. people will just turn up, people will have meetings in your living room. And and because you often live in a manse, that sort of seemed to be a public house but then where's your private space as a family what happens if your kids aren't behaving what happens if your teenagers don't want to go to church or your kids don't want to go to church or um you know or they or they do want to go to church but they just want to scream at the back that day or whatever it is it's just I think there's a level of expectation on mm. I think ministers families as a whole but I think that the pinpoint of that 
stress is usually on the spouse of the minister. There's a whole load of interesting things, isn't there? Challenges in there. Um, which reminds me, I've got to go and uh, hoover downstairs before our elders <laughs> come around this evening. Um, <laughs> um, and then when we spoke to Linda, the, the final couple of questions, I was just very struck by how this is, you know, our fourth chat of the season and people who I don't even know if they know each other, you know, from different spheres, different stages of ministry, different types of ministry, different um, roles in our movement, but all picking up on the same challenge, really. Um, and coming at it from slightly different perspectives, I guess, but all picking up on the same thing. And Linda spoke about respecting one another, being a community together, actually embracing the sense of union, you know, mm. um, and I do, yeah, there's, there's a whole piece of work to be done there, isn't there? And uh, I just think it's interesting that this has been picked up on without us saying anything, mm. it's been picked up on pretty consistently. Um, and so, yeah, go on. a whole variety of theological views as well. Yes. Uh, I think, yeah. You know, um, and it's interesting that she said, um, you know, accepting I might disagree on issues, but I'll still love you um, because I'll respect you and we can work together in this diversity. She said this thing that might sound simplistic. And I thought, yes, oh, I've wrote that down. I don't yeah. think that sounds very simplistic. I think that sounds really, really, really wise and complex yeah. <laughs> and brilliant. Yeah. Um, I, and, it's, and it isn't easy. And Linda, you know, referenced that it isn't easy. But I think with uh, people of the, the caliber and wisdom of Linda around, we've got a, a fighting chance of, of finding a good way through. It's back to what Lee said last week, isn't it, about the relationality? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, actually, if we if we have this relationship with people that where we love them first and we worry about what they believe second, then it's it's a really different thing to be a union together. Um, I also loved Linda's phrase. I just want to pick up on this um, before we finish, which is um, she said, uh, every Baptist church you go to will say we're not a typical Baptist yeah, yes, church. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I just love that. Absolutely great line because, um, yeah, she's absolutely spot on, isn't she? That exactly what they say. Um, and and it's true. Uh, there yeah. is no typical Baptist church. We're all very different variations. And we might have some similar ways we structure ourselves, but mm. the characters will all be different and the traditions and the place will be different. Yeah, I, I that made me, I loved, uh, and I wrote that down as well, you know, uh, how often people say that is uh, amusing. So yeah, I was going to say, yeah, we'll leave that there. Um, wonderful well uh, you thanks to... want to know what you were going to say now <laughs> no well no no no. i was i was just going to go down the road of all the things that people often say when you go to visit different churches that almost don't need saying and i'm not sure it was overly helpful but i was just remembering a number of times i've been to churches where you know people begin by apologizing that a number of people are away this week and you know i wasn't thinking any less of you that there were less people here than you were expecting it's not a problem but they feel the need to apologize or when people in a smaller church introduce themselves as the senior minister here and i think well okay well that's good for the four of you that you've got uh <laughs> several you know layers of of hierarchy you know, all these little things that people say uh, anyway so oh, we uh, just do worship the normal way well we'll do it the normal way yeah, yeah. and i'm like oh okay How, what is like doing worship or doing communion that's quite often we just do communion the normal way 
um okay yeah. <laughs> could you like expand a little bit yeah yeah oh brilliant um and beth i think you're going to finish with our blessing this week i am um... Thank you, everybody, for listening in. Uh, yes. We hope um, that you have a, a great week. And um, But if you're not, that, um, that God has met you in the vulnerable moments as well. Um, so we pray this prayer for you. May you see opportunities to bring hope, healing, and peace where others do not. May you have the courage to speak up for those that get overlooked. May you be aware of God's spirit at work in the words you speak, the safe spaces you create, and the relationships you build. You are loved by God. May those that you encounter know that they are loved too. Amen. Well, look forward to chatting again soon. See you. Bye. Bye everyone. <laughs>